Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Daniel chapter 3. We were in Daniel chapter 1 last week. We are going to pick up in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 3. And let me just tell you kind of where the context is. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. But God worked a miracle. He went into the furnace with them. They came out. There was not the smell of fire on them. Their clothes were not burned. They were not hurt. And it absolutely blew the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. And you've got to know that it would. Here is a guy that I'm going to guess was a little paranoid to start with. Why would you heat the furnace seven times hotter? It was already hot enough. Why would you tie people up that are going to die instantly? But he bound them, and then he had his best men come and throw them in. So why do you do all of that unless you're suspicious that there may be something about to happen that you weren't counting on? Well, it did. Let's take a look, beginning at verse 24 of chapter 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. And he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. You may have son of God there. It could translate it that way, but Nebuchadnezzar has no idea what the son of God looks like. So he's probably meaning in his words, it looks like one of the sons of the gods. But here's the cool part. You and I know it was the Son of God. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. Come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had not affected, had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Blessed be that God who has sent His angel and delivered His servants who put their trust in Him, violating the king's commandment. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. And yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own. He has just had his question answered. Because he asked earlier in this chapter, if you don't bow down, who is that God that will save you from me? 
Not my God's, but he is so intoxicated with his own power, he says, who is that God? And here God says, well, let me introduce myself. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar, again, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap insomuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver this way. And then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he caused them to prosper in the province of Babylon. Last week we shared a message entitled, When Pagans Rule, I suppose today we could entitle this message, When Pagans Preach, because we just heard a sermon from the biggest pagan in town, but he's been absolutely blown away by what he has seen. Now, remember the setting, the children of Judah, Judah and Benjamin, the two remaining tribes, have been carried off into captivity. Not every one of them, but many of them, especially the best and the brightest. And they've been carried away, and they're living in a land that is ruled and ran by pagans. So this is a very, very difficult time. But history seems to always repeat itself, not because events don't change, they do, but people rarely change. And so history continues to repeat itself. And if you look around us today, here we are, Born again, children of God, I hope all of you are. We're trying to serve the Lord, but we are surrounded by paganism, and our world's not ran by Christians, and the ideology of the Bible is not something that is supported in any way, shape, or form. I saw this week where we got a new speaker of the house, and uh, he blew some minds as he brought his Bible to the floor of the house, and He read Scripture from it and declared that this is my worldview. And some of the men got around him and they prayed with him. Now, what does the world think of that? Well, Bill Maher, this uh, talk show host or whoever he is, you've probably heard of him. Uh, He has got a lifetime subscription to Pagans Are Us. But he made the statement after seeing that and hearing Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the house, talk about his faith in God and how God, he believed, had put him in this position. Bill Marsh said that the margin between the speaker of the house hearing voices from God and the guy who shot and killed all of those people in Maine, he said there is very, very little difference. Now that's what the world thinks. But that's okay. We shouldn't act surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. What we should realize is we're in the same place where Daniel and his friends were. And so while we are in this place, maybe we can learn from them because they changed hearts and minds. Or I know it was God, but he did it through them. 
They, he performed miracles through them, but they were faithful to God, and, and they trusted in the Lord. And just because of their testimony, here we have Nebuchadnezzar leading a worship service after he has built this idol to himself and demanded that people bow down. They have absolutely stunned this old wicked king to his core. I hope and pray that the church, and I mean the church being those who are born again children of God, not just people who are gathered in a building somewhere, I hope and pray that we can take some lessons from them. I fear for a lot of people that the church, a great virtue of the church that they see, something that they would brag about, is any church that's found to be a place where folks can find acceptance of their sins. Matter of fact, churches are bragged about a lot nowadays that welcome lifestyles that are unbiblical and ideology that is unscriptural. And, and instead of people coming and finding repentance that could lead to salvation or brokenness that could lead to healing or forgiveness that could lead to freedom or redemption that could lead to eternal life, they brag about the churches who offer nothing more than acceptance, which can only lead to death. So I hope we wake up. I hope our church, I hope the believers who gather here, I hope today in these next few moments we can learn some ways that we can witness to the world around us. Some things that we can learn from these young Hebrew men. One of the things that we can way one of the ways we can witness to the world first of all is through courage. If we look at verse twenty eight, says Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, "Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel." I mean, he's just sorting this out the best he can. He doesn't really know who was in the fire walking around with him, and delivered his servants who put their trust. And him. He says it, violating the king's command. He's the king, but they violated my command. And they yielded up their bodies. They really believed that they would die instantly, he says, so as to not serve or worship any God except their own. Well, that takes some courage from God. You know, you got to really trust the Lord to do that. Uh, you you got to have some courage and backbone and believe in, in the God that you serve. It quits just being something you talk about or sing about. Uh, it, boy, when, when the rubber really meets the road in a situation like this, man, it gets serious and it gets serious fast. you got to understand, they had their faith and their trust, though, in God. And that's what gave them the courage. And that's what it's going to take for us. We're not going to take a stand. We're going to blend in with the crowd. We're going to keep our mouth shut. We're going to negotiate. We're going to do whatever until we get the courage that comes from putting our faith and trust in God and God alone. And that's what it's going to take for us. You know, we're all people of faith. We, everybody is. Sometimes we talk about there's uh, some of those that are people of faith. Everybody's got faith in something. Even an atheist has got faith that his belief is going to just finally let him die and go away forever. But, 
But so we all have faith in something. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they have been just ripped out of a monotheistic society, a place where there is one God and there is one temple. And archaeologists tell us that they have located at least 1,197 different temples that were in ancient Babylon. So you come out of a culture where you just got one God and one way to relate to Him, and all of a sudden you are just doused into a culture, submerged into a culture that is polytheistic, and man, it is so different than the world that you've ever known. And I I think about kids that go off to college and what it must be like to leave a place like Rutherford County and and a church like Cornerstone Fellowship and go off to UNC or Duke or Wake Forest or wherever, and you get in that part of the world, and it's like everything is so different. The Babylonians, they were very advanced people for one thing. They weren't backwards in any uh, uh, idea of the word because, one, they were huge in the mathematics. If you study them, and I did a good bit in the last few weeks, they were the first ancient culture to use trigonometry. And they were also brilliant in mathematics. As a matter of fact, some of the things that I studied about their ideas on math makes me wonder if maybe they could have taught me math because my high school certainly could not, and it wasn't their fault. But that's just not a a subject for me. But the Babylonians had some different ideas about how to teach math. For one, they would count to 12 on one hand. And the way they would do that is they'd take their thumb and they'd hit the end of their finger and that's one and then you've got a joint and then you've got another joint. And then they'd go to the next finger and of course by the time you get through all four fingers with three joints each, that's my anatomy lesson for today, you got 12. If you divide 12 by 2, all you have to do is that. See, you got your own little built-in calculator. And I'm really glad that they did math on one hand. Had we been preaching about a culture that used two, I'd be in trouble. So they have five fingers multiplied by 12 is 60. And 60 was one of the most important numbers in their math equations. They lived in a sexagesical culture or where we have decibel, decimal uh, base 10, they were sexagesical in that they, all their numbers were based on 60. And, and if you think, well, wow, that's, that's really crazy and glad we got past all of that, just look at your watch. You have 60 seconds that equals one. That's base 60, okay? One what? That's one minute. And 60 minutes equals one hour. All of that came from a culture. We're still using it to this very day. 360 degrees in a circle. All of that came from a culture that's 3,100 years old. And we still use it today. It's amazing. When you, you look at how that they use the number 60, and I don't want to get into it because I can. I'm not near smart enough, but... But, but, but 60 is divisible by like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and 10, and 12, and 15, and 20, and 30, 
and itself 60. It, it's, it's really amazing how they figured all of this out. They used it in their calculations. So here is my whole point. These Hebrew children have gone off to the university. And they're hearing things and seeing things like they've never heard and seen in their life. Not all of it is a lie, but when it comes to God, it is a very, very pagan culture. And I worry about our kids. I I hope this week that you'll come on Wednesday. I hope you'll try to come all through the month of November. We'll only have four sessions together unless we might add one more at the end. Just not sure, but... I can tell you, I would really love to see parents and youth come because I am so tired of watching our kids grow up in this church and they leave this church and they go off to college and within one year, about 60 or 70% of them walk away from the faith. Just doesn't make sense anymore. And if we don't teach them about places like Babylon that, man, alive, they had the best and the brightest. But, man, just in a few short years from the story we read today, the Babylonian Empire will be no more. And I'm afraid our kids are being talked into putting their faith and their thinking and their hope and their confidence in ideas, my friend, that's not going to lead to life, but it's going to lead to death. And if you look around our world right now, just remember, it's being ran by those ideas. How well do you think they're doing with it? We can win the world, witness to the world, through our courage. Secondly, our convictions. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said again, they violated my commandment. If we had gone up further in the chapter and read verse 16, when he tells them, I mean, he threatens them. He says, I'm going to give you one chance to bow down and you best get it done. And that's, that's, uh, that's South Carolina for, 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 uh, Acadian language. Okay. You best get it done. They looked at him in verse 16 and says, we need not give you an answer in this matter. There's really nothing to talk about, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. We made up our minds already. It's not like you can threaten us into doing anything. We have convictions in our hearts, and we're going to follow those convictions, and we're going to follow our God no matter uh, what happens. Now, this tells me something after seeing Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to it. We don't just have to get the world to believe what we believe. If we could convince the world that we actually believe what we say we believe, man, we could touch a lot of lives. It is almost as if we've compartmentalized our life and we have all this jargon we throw around at church, but when it comes to really living our lives, when it comes to our checkbook, our calendar, and all of that, that's like a whole nother thing. It is like God is attached to a life already in progress, and when we have some time, we throw it in there for Him, and at church, we sing our lungs out about it, but then when we leave here, it is like we go into a whole separate way of thinking. And the world sees that. The world knows that. And they're not impressed. You just think about, think about what Daniel did when he first got there in chapter 1. 
they wanted him, if you go back and read it, to eat the king's diet. And he wanted, they wanted all four of these young men to eat of the king's diet. And I mean, you got to think nowadays, you know what people in churches, in churches would say to Daniel, what you're, 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 you're refusing to eat the king's diet. What is the big deal? He says, I will not defile myself with that. And we don't even know exactly what he was talking about. It could have been that the meat was offered to idols. More than likely it was. Don't know about all of that. But Daniel says, let's test God. You can test us. You can look at us. Give us a period of time of eating the kind of diet that we want to. And then you can come back later and look and see whether or not we're healthy. And of course, we know that they were healthier than anyone around them. But my point is this. First of all, it was about a diet. Then they run into this problem here in chapter 3 where they won't bow down to an idol. What is the big deal about bowing down? You don't have to believe it. They could bow down and pray to their own God while they're there. Nobody's going to know it. All of those are the kind of things that I believe nowadays a lot of church people would probably say to these young men. It's not a big deal. And then later on, Daniel's going to get thrown in a den of lions because he wants to pray at a certain time in a certain way. Why not just pray in another time in a different way? Why not just be solid about it? I don't believe in, in, in showing off your faith anyway. He shouldn't be making a public spectacle out of his prayer time. Those are the kinds of things that I believe a lot of church people would discourage these young men with if they were living in our world today. You know, I have to tell you, as a pastor sometimes, I honestly, I, I, and I hope you take this the right way, and I hope I can say it the right way, but I've thought about it a lot this week. Sometimes I feel like just like I'm way out of touch. <laughs> when, when I, and I'll tell you what I mean. When I preach about things that are Founded in Scripture. I, when I talk about marriage, I, I got in a lot of trouble with different people about that. When you preached about women submitting in the marriage, the wife submitting to the husband, and then you go on and cover the fact that it says, and you both submit to each other as unto the Lord. So you submit to each other. It's not about a power play or a, some struggle of authority. It is not about equality. It is about a design that God has given us. And if you remember Jesus Christ, who was fully God, looked at the Father one time and said, not my will, but your will be done. Within the Godhead, even God submitted to Himself without considering it. A lack of equality. But boy, you preach about those things nowadays. It's called the complementary, the scriptural complementary role. And it doesn't just mean, wives, that you're supposed to complement everything us guys do. We're supposed to complement each other. That's the way that God designed it. My uh, feminine side is sitting right here. Her masculine side is standing up right here. And, and, and I'm just telling you, that kind of design works well. And we have it in our marriage, and we love it. And, and, and it's not a perfect marriage, but, 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 but she's doing better.
Nowadays, those kind of words just, boy, they just, people, it just drives them insane. Am I that out of touch? If it's truth and I preach it, are you going to stand with me, church? I'm just telling you that nowadays, sexuality, I talked with the men about this uh, uh, Wednesday night. Our sexuality, even among Christians nowadays, it's, it's not really so much based on Christian ideas and biblical ideas. It's more based on Greco-Roman mythology where Cupid shoots you with an arrow and, oh, he got me. And, of course, you know when he shoots you and you go down, you, you can't help that. Love is love, man. And I fell in love with this woman at work, Pastor. And, you know, we just, I, hey, you can't lead the heart around like a horse. And, and I, I left my wife and my kids, and, and I don't know. We just, we, just, we just knew. We looked at each other, Pastor, and we said, oh, this is bigger than both of us. And, 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 and we've been, oh, we just been hit with the arrow. And, 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 and you know how it is. Yeah, I know exactly how that is. It's called mythology. And if you believe that kind of garbage, what marriage in the world would ever be safe? You'd, all you have to do is just come home and say, Hey, honey, I've been shot through the heart today. Cupid got me. Man, I got four or five crossbows at my house. My wife will be going, Okay, well, that sounds good. Just you know, hang on a minute. I'm about to put another one through you. That's not out there in the world how many people that used to come and sit in these green chairs right here and used to profess all kinds of awesome truths and stand on convictions and preach and teach and everything else. Oh, Cupid caught them not looking. And they made every excuse in the world to legitimize where they are right now. It's sad. I, I I could I thought this week about I just saw where Disney's coming out with a new series called Pauline and maybe it's already out I don't keep up with Disney very much. I had to watch the Care Bear so much when my kids were little. I was in therapy I don't know how long over that. I don't even know if that's Disney. But they have a series that's coming out called Pauline, and it's where a young girl gets impregnated by Satan. There's a whole series coming out about it. Now, I know when I say stuff like that, people are going to go, well, but that's Disney. I, I, I guess, should we support Disney? Should that be something we just go, well, you know, you can't expect everything. And you're right. I mean, hey, they own ESPN. They own ABC. They own the History Channel. They own TLC. They own all of those things. They are buried into our lives, but we think nothing about it. That's why these kind of things get this far along in our culture. And might as well go ahead this week, you know, we got a holiday coming up. That's right, Tuesday. What's happening Tuesday? That's right, you said it 506 years ago, 1517. That's the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door at the Church of Wittenberg. And if that's not the holiday you were thinking about it, just be quiet. 
I've caught more guff over that. Just telling you. I wonder if the church would even support these four young men and the stand that they took. Courage, conviction. Number three, it takes consistency. Consistency. In verse 28, they said, we will not serve. Or he says, they told me they wouldn't serve or worship any god but their own. In verse 17, if you went back up into the chapter, you would hear where they said, but even if he does not, they said, we believe our God will save us. Our God saves. They were singing that song when they were going over the edge. But they said, even if he does not, be it known unto you that we will not bow down. We not, we've not made a deal with God. We've not come against it. We've not agreed to it. We've not doing some hostage praying where we've claimed it, named it, and God's got to do it. He might save us. He might not save us. But be it known unto you right now, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, that whether he saves us or not, we will not bow down. Boy, that's consistency. <laughs> That's what we have to have, consistency in our faith. Sometimes it's not easy to have. Sometimes, boy, it's easy to compromise. But if you look in this chapter, worship is used 11 times. I think that is significant. They would not bow down in worship. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with just a second of hitting a knee and bouncing right back up? They would be hidden in the crowd. Who is going to notice? Well, let me remind you that worship is something that whatever object we worship, we become like that thing. So if we worship God, we become more and more like God. Worship is a dangerous things because it is transformative. If you worship idols in this world, if you got a football team that, that you just, boy, you just, they, they're all there is in the world to you, or a sports figure, or some person in Hollywood, or whatever it might be, your career, your bank account, your house, your education, whatever it might be, the more you worship that thing, the more like that thing you become. It's a powerful truth. We have to be consistent. Courage, conviction, consistency. Number four, yeah, I think we could witness to our world through some confidence. In verse 30, the king, it says, caused them to prosper. <laughs> and if you go back to chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission. Now, and he goes on and he makes a deal with one of the king's men that you come back and you weigh us and check us out after a period of time. And you see if our God is not able to make us as healthy as your men. And they did. And, of course, they were even healthier than the men who ate the king's diet. I think it's kind of cool the way Daniel did that. I'm sure right along about then I'd have been thinking about one of those you're going to burn in hell sermons. But Daniel says, let's do, let's, let's do something. I am not going to compromise. But I have enough confidence in my God. I'll let you test him. I'll let you test him. 
I'll let you see what my God can do and compare it to all of the other things that the gods that you have. I'll let you test my God. That's, that's a pretty awesome statement to make. He did not dare compromise the Word of God. But I think if we would be more like this, we could help people to understand that they can have confidence in our God. It, 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 it's not just a religion to us. It's, it's not just a thing we do. If we really believe that every day of our lives, every breath we breathe, every heartbeat we ha- take, everywhere we go, God is in the middle of all of that. As a matter of fact, here's a great question. If you ask these four young men, how did you wind up in Babylon to start with? They would say, God sent us there. Because he had a purpose in us going. It might not have been God's ultimate will for Judah to fall. But these four young men are exactly where God put them doing what God called them to do. That kind of confidence can change hearts and minds. You know, it's hard to find people that don't believe in God in our part of the world. I know there are plenty, but we don't run into them a lot here where we live. Problem is, it's the way that a lot of people believe in God. We talked about this Wednesday night with the men in James 2.19. He says that the demons believe and shudder. You might translate that word uh, tremble. It's friso. Friso is a word that the Greeks would use to talk about when the magician finally comes out with the whatever, you, you realize that he caught the bullet with his teeth. Oh man, have you, ever, have you been impressed with that one? Is there a soul in this whole building that believes that that man caught that bullet with his teeth? Please do not raise your hand. But when that happens, people go, ooh, that's fisso. Fisso is the word for shudder. It means something really got your attention. It's sort of like when people go up in the mountains this time of year. You know, we're so privileged. We live here. People drive hundreds of miles to see these blooming leaves. And I think they're great, even the ones laying in my yard. They're beautiful. But people will see those things and say, how in the world could somebody see that and not believe in God? How in the world could somebody see the ocean and not believe in God? And how in the world could somebody see a little baby and not believe in God? That's, uh, that's that more demonic kind of belief. You, you shuddered. You just, it really stunned you. But unless it transforms your life, then you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're just oohing and on over stuff that He created. You've got to have a personal relationship with Him. These mountains are never going to change your mind. They're never going to transform your heart. The wonders of the galaxies of the universe are never going to change your life. It takes more than friso faith. It takes something that call repentance. And then last of all, We could witness to the world by showing them we have courage, conviction, consistency, confidence. We also have comfort. Boy, a lot of our world would like a little bit of that right now. Verse 27 says, The fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, 
the men uh, of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor their trousers damaged, nor they had to smell upon them. He must have been a Baptist. He's got three committees going here, the suit committee, sniff committee, the, uh, what was the singe committee? Yeah, got to have all them check them out. Could you imagine these three guys standing there and they're like, what are you doing? They're astounded. They can't believe it. You know, maybe a good sermon title would be, make them want to smell you. Just be so stinking, ah, that's a pun, I didn't even mean it, but be so stinking led by God and God working such a miracle in your life and being such a light in this dark place. It, it could make the world want to take a closer look. And that's when we get to look at them and tell them why we are the way we are. That it's not about us at all. That we, outside of Christ, would be doomed to hell. But that because of Jesus Christ and Him alone, we do have a comfort, even in times like this. I... Man, right now, you know, anything can happen in the Middle East and book sales go out of sight, especially for the prophecy preachers. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that they're all wrong about what all we're seeing, but I, I got news for you. I, when people ask me questions like, Preacher, what do you think this world's coming to? All I can say is an end. And when it happens and how it happens, I don't care. I'm, I'm, this world is not my home. You're asking me about property I have nothing to do with. It's not mine. And I don't belong to it. Now, that's the second problem a lot of people have. It's not that they own a lot of things. It's that a lot of things own them. And those things get done with their paycheck, there's nothing left. When it gets done with their bodies all week long, they're tired and given out. I'm, I can tell you, if us Christians could truly get close enough to God to where even in the darkest days, economically, as far as, as war and all that's going on in our world right now, with all of these things, if we could demonstrate a peace in our heart that passes all understanding, and that's the kind that Jesus said He gives Wow, I think we could witness to the world in an incredible way. If we could truly say, hey, there's another in the fire, friend. I'm not alone. God didn't air condition this furnace I'm going through. But He walked with me. He never left me to walk through it by myself. Man, you don't have to be Billy Graham to sell that message, friend. You don't have to be a great orator. You don't have to be a great anything. All you got to do is just say, hey, man, <laughs> my faith is in God. I got a peace in my heart. If I leave this whole world tomorrow, if I don't make it to the end of this sermon, if you can stand up and say, man, if I don't even make it home today, 
then I'll truly be home. I'll be with God. And I got a peace in my heart about it. And while I'm here, I'm going to be a light in this darkness. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on speaking up and telling the truth in a sin-cursed world. And then one of these days, this old world will end or He will call me home. And I will be with Him forever. Man, our world could use some of that. I'll never forget, I've told some of you about my father-in-law when he got saved. Oh man, he and my mother-in-law, when they got saved, they just, I want to say they really got saved, but I hate that language. You don't really get saved. They just, just got saved. Saved it covers it. You know what I'm saying? Man, their lives were transformed. Right after that, Loretta and I and my father-in-law and mother-in-law, we went to the beach together. And I remember we got on an elevator. <laughs> my father-in-law, I'm just telling you, he's from the country. He just says whatever comes out of his mouth or, or whatever comes into his head. And somebody got on the elevator with us, and he had some beer, wine, whiskey, something. I don't remember, but he offered us some. My father-in-law looked right at him and said, we got something better than that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and this guy turned around really interested. Oh, yeah, what you got? He said, we got the Lord. I've never seen a face in my life with so much disappointment on it. He thought we were going to drag something out of our pocket that would make him seat up and feel single for two weeks. We got something better than that. Man, I think we could witness to this world if we take a close look at these four young men. Fifteen years old, probably, when Daniel was taken to Babylon. He'll serve two different kingdoms while he's there. And God will speak to his heart with a prophetic word that will take us all the way to the end of time. So amazing. Let's pray together. God, we come to you right now, Lord, and I ask you, Father, please. Please help us. Help us, God, as we try to shine in this darkness. Lord, it's so easy to just curse it. It's so easy to hate it and find things wrong with it, Lord. It's, it's full of evil and it's full of wickedness. And we know that, God. But Lord, we have a calling on our life. and You put us here in this time, 2023. You put us here, God. We are your body. We represent your physical presence in this world, God. Paul lived in a different era. Peter lived in a different era. John lived in a different time, God. Daniel lived in a different time. But we are the ones that you have saved and called for this time. And I pray you'd help us, Lord. Help us, God, not doubt your power and strength. Lord, I feel like a hypocrite even praying that in public. 
I depend on myself so much. I worry about being so embarrassed or looking like a bigot or narrow-minded or uneducated God. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to forget about all those things and realize it's not by our power anyway. It's by yours. And I pray, God, that you would help us to live in a, in a way that would allow this world to see Jesus in us. I pray, God, that like Nebuchadnezzar, they would not be able to ignore it. I pray, God, that you would show yourself, show your power and your strength. And like Nebuchadnezzar, they would praise you and not us, God. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us as a church, Lord. Like so many churches, God, it's a struggle sometimes. I pray, Father, that you would just help us, Lord, to get serious about our walk with you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.